Welcome back to the Pop Punk Project. As you know, I am Keenan, one of the co-hosts, and I'm here with my other co-host. Uh, wait, Mike, why aren't you turning your video on? Uh, hey, Keenan. Hey, everybody. Um, no reason. I just felt like trying something different this week. Something different? We've done over 30 episodes, and now you want to try to change it up? Um, yeah. I don't know. I'd just rather not be on video tonight. That's all. Okay, dude. Stop messing around. You know I like to see my handsome guy. Turn on that camera and let's get cranking here. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, give me a second. All right. Here you go. And as I was saying, oh my God, Mike, what is that? Oh, it's so gross. I told you I, I didn't want to turn it on. Why did you make me turn it on? Oh my God, that looks infected, Mike. You need to see a doctor ASAP. Keenan, I told you. I freaking told you. Well, in honor of Mike's disgusting blemish, might as well discuss some 41's album, Does This Look Infected? Just stage dive in without me, okay? I wish I was never born. Okay. A little dramatic there, Mike. Does This Look Infected is the second studio album by Sum 41. It was released on November 26, 2002 by Aquarius Island and Mercury Records and was produced by Greg Norrie. Mike, isn't that weird that it was released by three different record companies? Uh, yeah, Keenan, I guess they got their band name from the, the number of companies they used, right? <laughs> uh, you add them all up, it equals 41. Nice, that's good. Everybody wanted a piece of the sums. The album debuted at number eight on the Canadian albums chart. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? Um, excuse me. Selling 17,000 copies in Canada in its first week. It has since sold over <laughs> Canadian albums chart. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that just went, that caught me by surprise. Also, 17,000, dude. Like, I could sell 17,000 albums tonight if I wanted to. <laughs> oh, man. This, this album sucks. <clears throat> it has since sold over four and a half million copies worldwide, but did not enjoy the same level of success as the band's previous album, All Killer, No Filler. You're giving it shit, but four and a half million copies worldwide, that's pretty significant. Yeah. I mean, 17,000 in Canada, whatever that uh, first week, uh, not that impressive. But come on. I'm sure. They caught up. We we know that uh, Sum 41 is from Canada. I'm sure it sold more albums in the U.S. that first week. I feel like Canada needs to pick up the slack in supporting their uh, hometown yeah. pop punk stars. Come on, Canada. Compared to their earlier albums and EPs, these songs are notably heavier, darker, more aggressive, and this album almost feels like a transition between All Killer No Filler, which was very pop punk, and the album Chuck, which, as we know, as we've covered it, is very heavy and very dark. So, Keenan, November of 2002, what in the world is going on? On November 13th of that year, Mike, Eminem, famous rapper that you know and love, Love him. Releases the single Lose Yourself from the 8 Mile soundtrack, which is the first rap song to win the Academy Award for Best Original Song. How about that, Mike? That was a great song. Um, I still love singing it to this day. Mom's Spaghetti is still a very relevant uh, joke on the internet. His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. There's vomit on his sweater already. Mom's spaghetti, he's nervous, but on the surface he looks calm and ready to drop palms. But he keeps on forgetting what he wrote down. The whole crowd goes so loud. He opens his mouth, but the words won't come out. He's choking how? Everybody's choking now. The clock's run out. Time's up. Over. So, congratulations to Eminem. <laughs> Shout out M. Thanks for listening. Also, Mike, November 13th, big day. You know what that day is, right? Hmm, I think I do, Keenan. It's a special little boy's birthday. That's right. That was Keenan Clark's 12th birthday. Wow. We probably celebrated it together. 
2002. You probably gave me so many noogies that day. Yeah. Uh, Eminem was rapping about his mom's spaghetti, and I was telling you, I don't care. I hate spaghetti. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yep. Talk about an inside joke. Um, on November 14th, Keenan, the film Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets is released based on the second book of the series by J.K. Rowling. Harry Potter? That was pretty big during that time period. Do you remember those flicks? Remember those books? Do you read the books? Uh, I didn't read the books. Did go and see the movies. That was like a nice family movie outing that we would do. I guess they probably averaged about one of those movies each year, maybe every year and a half. They were good. I enjoyed them. Yeah, they were okay. Yeah, I also did not read the books. I feel like you and I are both on the outside looking in because most of the kids our age at that time were 100% reading those books. Yeah, I'm sure it would have been more fun to understand the ins and outs of everything and know all the different characters. Like, I knew Harry, Hermione, and Ron, essentially, and Hagrid. Were there more other than that? Those are the only ones that I remember. There were others, but all the secondary characters, like the other students at Hogwarts... People could, like, rattle off, like, all the facts about them. Like, okay, they're in, like, one scene. Who cares? Didn't it just get annoying when the people were like, oh, this movie's not as good as the book. Oh, they left this out from the book. Yeah. Those kids were the worst. I feel like that's always been the case with movies and books. Yeah, but I think it was especially true of Harry Potter. At least during that time. Yeah, that's true. And I guess, eventually, I think the... Maybe it was only the last book. They split it into two movies. Maybe two... uh try to account for for not as many details being put in the earlier movies. They spread it out over two to, you know, get more good stuff in there or just mm. to turn more of a profit. I, th- I think it was more of a money grab <laughs> is probably what it was. But yeah, sure. Maybe they wanted to get all those little details in, Mike. We really just want to make the best <laughs> movie possible. The best cinematic experience for our viewers. Yeah. Uh, no, they were trying to line their pockets, Mike. Oh, man. We're so cynical, Keenan. True. <laughs> On November 16th, the first case of SARS is recorded in Foshan City, China. The first patient is thought to be a farmer from that city. Now, Mike, SARS, does that remind you of anything? <laughs> uh, I mean... How about the most recent pandemic, Mike? The COVID pandemic. Uh, yeah, more recently, COVID... Uh... SARS, I do remember the initial panic, and it didn't seem like anything ever came of it, and I think that was my original mindset when I kept on hearing about this thing called the coronavirus over in Wuhan, China, a couple years ago. Uh, In my mind, I'm like, ah, it's, you know, good luck, it'll never get make its way over here, and uh, here we are three years later, and it's still... uh, Still going strong. Yeah. Multiplying and, and burying it up and whatever. So Burying it up. Jesus. <laughs> well. Variant? Varianting? Varianting? Well, to give you some context, Mike, during that outbreak of SARS, which I think was called an epidemic, not a pandemic, it was between 2002 and 2004, it infected 8,000 people from 29 countries and territories and resulted in only 774 deaths worldwide. Compare that to the most recent COVID pandemic. Yeah, it's been uh, millions of deaths. And then there's, and that's kind of crazy because we overlook that statistic nowadays. It's incredible how quickly things just chug along and it's like, oh, well, it's here to stay. It's part of our, our daily lives now. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, it did kill millions of people. But, uh, oh, well, like, what are you going to do? Honestly, we are cynical this week. I don't know what's going on, but I know. But, like, you know, what can you do? I wonder, and I'm not going to go research this, I wonder what they did in this case. Like, if there's something that could have been done more early in the whole COVID-19 pandemic to have had this kind of result where it was somewhat contained and, you know, still spread, but not nearly as bad as the coronavirus. I just think it was a much different strain. I think it was more infectious and ended up being more dangerous and more lethal. So I don't know, Mike, probably nothing we could have done. Yeah. I'm not putting the blame on us, Keenan. No, definitely wasn't you and me. Yeah. I feel a lot like some 41 on this album. 
they always are. It's like, it's the government's fault. It's not my fault. Oh, like, Mike, you're jumping the gun. We haven't even discussed that yet. <laughs> I can't do anything about it. So. Jesus. Uh, all right. Well, let's get to some happier themes, Mike. Cue that theme music. Um, Which one? Celebrity Weddings. Weddings? Yeah. Duh. <clears throat> Did you forget all of our hilarious little bits here? Celebrity weddings, celebrity weddings, ooh, celebrity weddings. Now, Mike, unfortunately, there were no weddings of note for this month, but there was one very famous divorce. Well, I don't know how famous it is, but one very interesting divorce. Okay. On November 25th, Academy Award-winning actor Nicolas Cage files for divorce from the princess of rock and roll, Lisa Marie Presley, after only three months of marriage. Wow. Yeah. What a great couple, though, you know? I didn't even really remember that they were together, and I guess... <laughs> it was only three months long, so... I know. I guess it's not my fault, because, yeah, three months is not a very memorable period, but two very unique characters there. Yeah, shocking they couldn't work it out. <laughs> I know. Well, I guess Lisa Marie Presley wasn't... Did she have any weird stuff that she'd, she'd do in life? Or was it just that she was Elvis's daughter? Um, Didn't she also marry Michael Jackson or like date Michael yeah, Jackson or did. something? Yeah, she did. I think she had all sorts of weird shit going on. I think she actually was the mother of his children. Oh, a blanket? Like Paris and... Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. Strange. She was married to Michael Jackson from 94 to 96, so longer than Nicolas Cage. <laughs> that is certainly more than three months, yeah. And let's see who her kids are. Uh, one of her sections on Wikipedia is Scientology. Well, that's always fun. All right, Paris Jackson isn't the daughter of Lisa Marie Presley. Oh, well, whatever. Nick Cage, I think, is just an eccentric kind of guy. Spectacles. <laughs> uh, <laughs> seen that movie? <laughs> No. <laughs> National Treasure. Oh, yeah. I was just laughing at your impression. <laughs> was it good? Um, yeah. It's just that the last time this was here, it was being signed. Ben, there's another tour coming. Turn it over. <clears throat> Careful. Spectacles. <clears throat> He's in a couple movies recently or maybe just one movie oh yeah because isn't he like millions of dollars in debt and he needs to like make a ton of money maybe or maybe he just loves acting mm. i think it's a money grab mike <laughs> call back <laughs> all right Time to get into the actual album, Mike. Track number one, The Hell Song. Isn't that how that goes? Yeah, Keenan, this was the second single. It's a great upbeat opening track from the intro, the guitar intro. You know how that one goes, right, Keenan? Didn't I just sing it? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's a little joke between friends. Oh, all right. That was funny. <laughs> yeah, this was a big one. This was one of the more famous songs from the album, obviously, as the second single. What are your thoughts on this one? Do you like this one? I love this one. I was thinking about it, and you can confirm, but... My most memorable tracks from this album, I believe, are songs that the Gummy Bear Warriors performed covers of. And yeah. I think this was one of the ones that you guys played. It was. Yeah, I believe it was. Well, actually, I think there were several on this album that we performed because of me. <laughs> because I loved this album and I was like the 
some 41 obsessed member of the band um but yeah this was for sure one of them What uh what do you make of it? What's it all about? I think this song is kind of a reflection on life and assessing your problems and trying to see or discern whether they're big problems or little problems. I think there's a lot of lines that kind of allude to the fact that things can always get worse. You might think that a situation is bad when it's really not yeah and you might take things for granted because you're just a more pessimistic person when really you have it pretty good it's uh you don't know what you got till it's gone kind of situations yeah or that other people out there have it worse than you do so it's like okay stop complaining about the small stuff it reminds me of that saying have you heard that saying there but for the grace of god go i Mm-hmm. Love that saying. <laughs> but like actually, do you know it or no? No. Oh, you don't? Okay. <laughs> I mean, what is it, like Notre Dame or something? No what? No. It's just like a normal I think it is a Catholic saying, but it's like yeah. a very normal like Catholic saying. I'm sure I've heard it, but it's not some it's not like a mantra of mine. Oh, okay. Gotcha. My mom and grandmother used to say it all the time, but it's you say it when like you see somebody out there who's having a hard time or somebody who's like dealing with something bad like an illness or like a family member passing and you say there before the grace of god go i acknowledging that there are outside factors that play a role in your life and affect other people so not to judge other people and just remember that you have it okay compared to others this song kind of reminds me of that yeah i think that's a great message to hold close to at all times because you never really know what other people are going through and it could be a lot worse than the things you're going through. That's how I always justify like people being jerks like in traffic or you know somebody cuts me off and I just say maybe they're on their way to put their dog down at the oh. vet or I don't know. Yeah. Do you actually say that though or do you just give them the finger? No. What do you actually do? I don't give the finger cuz I'm afraid of getting shot. <laughs> yeah, that's true me too. But I just always assume maybe they uh, like when you say, hey, where the hell do you have to be? Maybe they actually do have to be somewhere. I give them yeah. the benefit of the doubt. Drive to the hospital or something to see a loved one. Yeah. Yeah. I read that Derek Wibley, the lead singer, actually wrote this song in response to a friend of his who was diagnosed with HIV. And so he was saying, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening to you. I'm so sorry. You know, I'm going to stop bitching about all the little things that are going wrong in my life because you're dealing with something so significant. So, yeah, I think that that is the message he's trying to send you know, that other people have it bad out there and you just don't know what they're going through. I did read the same interview where he kind of just wrote this and it wasn't like he sat down intending to write about his friend. It just kind of came out. That's difficult too to be in the position of the friend or the partner or whatever when somebody that you care about is going through a difficult situation or a difficult time. Uh, I know we've talked about it before, but you know, somebody's diagnosed with a serious illness, it's it's hard to find the right words to be compassionate or make them feel better. Just because Derek says in this song, it's like, you don't ever think about those things happening until they kind of happen. Yeah. And then it's like, I can't believe this happened to you. I usually just say, hey, come on, buck up. Rub some dirt on it. That's what I say. Could you stop whining about it? <laughs> We're terrible people. Hey, Mike, how about the guitar solo in the song? That's pretty rare for pop punk, right? It's rare for pop punk, but I don't think it's rare for some 41. No, I think they love to flaunt their guitar skills, don't they? Mm-hmm. Like you had said 
in the introduction, they really set a heavier tone on this album, and that allows them to really shred on a lot of these tracks. Totally, bro. We love to shred. Yeah, we do love to shred. Yeah, I think this is going to be one of many like pretty legit guitar riffs, but I thought that one always stood out. That's a pretty um, pretty killer solo there. And then as a single mic, there is a music video as well. Did you have a chance to watch that one? I did. I had never seen this music video before, but it was actually... Oh, you never saw it? No. It's so good. It's like the pop punk Toy Story. Yeah. I think we found this out with uh, All Killer, No Filler. I think I got more into Sum 41 around Chuck, which would have been two years after this. And yeah. you and Tom were so into them from like a way earlier age or stage in their career that you guys had just watched everything they put out. Yeah. But um, no, if I had seen this, I didn't remember it. But so it's like the guys are action figures or it's action figures with their faces on them. And I immediately thought it was a spoof of that sync music video where they're all marionettes. Oh and, yeah. Um it actually featured the NSYNC marionette, so I guess it was <laughs> it does, kind of yeah. kind of a spoof or an homage to that. Features a lot of people. Features uh I mean like literally too many to name. There's like Snoop Dogg and Ludacris, Aerosmith, Metallica, The Osbournes, uh yeah. Marilyn Manson, George W. Bush holding a missile, which is kind of like we'll see more of that some forty one on Chuck. I was like, wow, even in 2002, they were already kind of uh, getting into the political sphere, which is another thing they kind of avoided on All Killer, No Filler. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's a lot going on in this music video, but at the end of the day, it's just like a bunch of toys, and they're all showing up to a Sum 41 concert, and all this sort of crazy uh, hijinks occurs. It's really fun. Yeah, really fun, Mike. It's a fun video. I love the end, too, when they get into a helicopter. (laughs) And they just throw it out the window. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about this kind of video is I feel like either anybody can make it or it's like genius and like only (laughs) some 41 could make it or, you know. Yeah. All I was thinking was the budget for this video must have been like $100. (laughs) Like they probably just filmed it with like a camcorder and they bought $100 worth of toys and, you know, taped faces on them. Yeah. The hardest part must have been tracking down all those different like action figures or dolls or whatever they probably yeah. weren't easily accessible like i wonder if they were a lot of them were just custom made for the video track number two over my head better off dead This is the third single of the album, and it's my favorite, Mike. Whoa, nice. Yeah, I like this one. Is this another Gummy Bear Warriors song? Uh, no, we actually never played this one. Okay. I would say this one was more of an underrated Sum 41 song that kind of flew under the radar, don't you think? Yeah, underrated, I guess, as underrated as a third single can be, Keenan. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that said... If the Government Warriors didn't cover it, then it must have been a deeper cut. For sure, yeah. Uh, But still a really good one. I think Derek had explained at one point in time that this song was about dealing with the aftermath of a drunken night and all the things that you did. And people were telling you, like, oh, like, I can't believe you're that drunk. I can't believe you said that. Which is interesting because, as we've discussed previously with Sum 41, Derek goes on to deal with a lot of serious issues in real life with drugs and alcohol. So it's always kind of interesting when he brings up those topics in song, but he went on record and said that that's what this is about. To me, I could definitely get that messaging, but to me, it felt a little more specific than that. Like dealing with the fallout after you did or said something that ruined a relationship, probably after a night of drinking, like when you were drunk, you said something that, you know, this person couldn't, forget about and then address it the next day because there are a lot of specific references to like one person that you're dealing with in this song i definitely can remember times like that like how derek explained you say something stupid 
the worst part about it is you often don't remember what you said. And then it leads to this retracing of your steps, trying to piece together nights. And then, uh, especially in the case you had mentioned, where if it's with somebody very specific and very important in your life, it's probably something that <laughs> happens quite often between the two of you. And it probably reaches a breaking point. At a certain point, the person that you're with doesn't want to be, you know, cussed out every time that you drink <laughs> too much or whatever. So, yeah, I'm sure by the next morning you know like those nights when like you wake up and you just immediately feel remorseful oh yeah i know something happened but i'm not quite sure what happened (laughs) yeah i was gonna ask you you ever have those nights mike yeah but the the best part is like you don't really remember (laughs) the worst of it but it's just that dread feeling of like ooh, i did something that i'm gonna have to atone for i just know it yeah and the line is perfect like better off dead like i'd rather die right now (laughs) than have to deal with the consequences of of things i said and things i messed up oh those nights are the worst fortunately they don't happen to you and i all that much anymore but we i know for a fact that you and i have both had our fair share of those especially more like college time period yeah i think that's something you do eventually grow out of but might run into one every once in a while yeah every now and then that's okay every now and then yeah but the consistency goes down over time yeah can i throw a couple lines at you that really stood out to me like some of my favorite some 41 lines of all time Mm, okay yeah it's none of my concern don't look at me because i don't believe in fame i guess you never heard i met our makers they don't even know your name that one has always stood out to me because like what pop punk bands are ever talking about like God specifically. Yeah. But I thought it was cool in this song because in that first line when he's talking about, don't look at me, I don't believe in fame, he doesn't want the attention of all this drama. And then the second line, I've met our makers, they don't even know your name. He's saying at the end of the day, this doesn't matter, none of this matters, nobody cares, so why should you, why are you getting hung up on that? I thought that was always like oddly powerful for Sum 41 and a pop punk band generally. Yeah, that line really stuck out to me too. It kind of almost was a derailment of like Christianity as a whole. Like there are so many people in the world that there's that expression, like God knew my name before I was even like born or whatever. Have you ever (laughs) heard that before? I've never heard that. No. Or like God knew who you were the the second you were born. There's this self-importance that we put on ourselves. Yeah. God cares about me. God is invested in me and what I'm doing. So those lines where it's like, he doesn't even know who you are, bro. Yeah. It's such a diss. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a punch in the gut. Yeah. Uh, were there any cool lines that you picked up on, Mike? Oh, Keenan, Keenan, Keenan. How do you know? <laughs> Can read your mind, Mikey. <laughs> <laughs> this song actually has my tattoo line. Oh, sick. And it's funny because I was close to using the same lines you just picked out. Oh, you like those too? Yeah, but then I decided, nah, that would that would require too much explanation. And then we just went over it anyway. So. Yeah, should have just done it. Yeah, but in this case, this is a better tattoo line because it's a little bit shorter. Uh, who said it was so easy to put back all these pieces? Oh, like Reese's pieces? Pieces, yeah. Oh, all right. Are you going to have like a little picture of Reese's pieces next to it? Yeah, pieces. Sweet. Um, where, uh, where do you want to <laughs> get it? You know what? I already have that dashboard confessional lyric about bend the pieces till they fit. Oh, so. yeah. Put it next to that one. Where was that? Yeah. Should we... I must have a, a strange attraction for these puzzle lyrics. Yeah. Should we uh, dig back to the old episodes and find out where that was and yeah, right next to it? That's everybody's assignment for this week. So yeah. uh, wherever that one is, let's put this one right near it. But uh, yeah, I thought that kind of also summed up this song in a nice way. Like you destroy this jigsaw puzzle of your life and it's not too easily repaired and once again with this one mike there is a music video my favorite type of music video mike tour footage yeah i was thinking it's been a while since we got the tour footage behind the scenes music video but it was I love them. it was fun to see yeah they're so good there's just so much action it shows them performing on stage and then it cuts to them in their tour bus and all the crazy antics 
and Sum 41 was known for their crazy antics back in those days. Also, a little Easter egg, Mike. Did you see Derek's uh, Philadelphia Flyer shirt in the concert footage? Mm, no. Was that was that prominent throughout? I guess I didn't <laughs> notice it. it. Yeah, it was pretty prominent. It was like pretty much what he's wearing in every single concert scene. <laughs> um, I got to go back and watch it. I can't believe I missed it. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, it was pretty uh, blatant. But it was funny because I saw him wearing that in the music video and I, I didn't remember that. But one of my favorite videos of them performing live was in that Warped Tour 2003 DVD, which I know you and I discussed before. Tom Mackle had that, and it had all these great, you know, clips from that tour from that year. And Sum 41 performed this song, and Derek was wearing the exact same flyer shirt, but it was not the same concert footage. It was a totally different concert. So this was, like, in his rotation when he was touring. That's cool. Yeah. I wonder... Because that was Warped Tour 2003, so I wonder, it was probably within the same year, like, the tour footage for this song and then that Warped Tour. Yeah, well, I imagine that, you know, this came out late 2002, they probably toured, you know, in December, January, and then threw together these clips and made the music video and then put it out, and then sure enough, a few months later, he's didn't outgrow that shirt in that time, Mike, so he's still wearing it. That's awesome. I'm glad you pointed that out because I completely missed it. I guess I just, like... It's okay. I just have better attention to detail than you. That's all it is. Yeah, and you've probably watched it a million times before. I certainly have, yes. This would be a, a fun group to see live again. I know we saw them way back in the day, but they're high, high energy performances. Track number three, My Direction. I think this one's pretty obvious, Mike. Fairly obvious what it's about. Yeah, Keenan. It's about uh, stopping to ask for directions. Okay. <laughs> it's about MapQuest? Yeah. <laughs> Just a song about MapQuest. Uh, no, it's about uh, One Direction. Ooh. Your favorite member of, of One Direction. Who do you think that is? Uh, it's got to be Harry Styles. No freaking way. Oh, your favorite? Yeah, it's Liam. Yeah, I was going to say Liam. Were you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a Liam guy. Liam Payne. I like Liam, too. Okay. To get to what this song's actually about. Uh, seriously, though, Keenan, uh, this song is a more somber number on the album. It's kind of Sum 41's reflection on suicide. And, you know, there's even lines in it that say how suicide has increased 300% in North America and is the second major cause of death in Canada. So they kind of take that idea and that concept and write a song around it. It is a really good song. It's a nice perspective on that kind of place that everybody goes, like that state of depression or just feeling overwhelmed with the world. And to a certain extent, I believe this song is Derek and the band saying, like, just try to hang in there. Try to see that life isn't so bad and that things aren't perfect. That's okay. Just try to keep going in the right direction. So, yeah, it's almost like good charlotte song hold on which is also about you know teenage suicide but yeah this is like sum 41's first real like specific commentary on something that's fairly dark and pretty sad topic compared to other things that they've written songs about in the past but sum 41 was always one of those bands that that wasn't afraid to address the controversial topics like suicide depression war and politics but it really kind of makes you think about all the crazy pressures that we as teenagers were under during that time. It's crazy to think about the insanely high expectations for us, 
doing like all those random standardized tests and entrance exams. Like, do you remember all that just random stuff we had to do and we had to always be preparing and studying? And I don't even think we really knew what they were for at that time. Looking back at a lot of things in life, you realize how little of a priority they turn out to be. I know. Like, do you remember what you scored on your Terra Nova test from fourth grade? No, I don't remember. And I feel like the only way you remember your SAT score is if you got like a perfect score. Which you did. So you remember it. Yeah. No, Keenan. No, no, no. Come on. Let's not get crazy there. Uh, I can tell you my GPA in college, but nobody else has asked for it since I graduated. (laughs) What is it? Uh, it was 3.26. Hey, that's pretty good. Mine was a 3.1. <laughs> not the best, but not the worst. Yeah. <laughs> You're flying high on that B. That's fine. Yeah. If I could go back, I probably would have worked a little bit harder. Yeah. Um, but. Calls is about having fun. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. There's all this pressure that's put on kids. And like, even to like a lesser degree with my children, there's these life milestones that are predetermined okay by six months they should be crawling and by a year they should be walking and a year and a half they should be talking and if they're not talking by two then there's something wrong and it's just this never-ending cycle of like meeting these life deadlines and yep if you fall behind or are not on schedule you start to get worried that like maybe there's something wrong with you or why am i different and Unfortunately, the ultimate decision that some people make in responding to that is suicide. So uh, it's very sad. It's a terrible thing that's like a moment in time that is, you know, you can't take back. You can't do over or, or rethink once it's done. So it's just scary. And I didn't realize, like, I've listened to this song before, but that 300% increase, that is staggering. It's pretty crazy, yeah. Hopefully it's gotten better since then, but I really don't know. And I wouldn't be surprised if it stayed around the same or within the same ballpark. You know, you still hear that that's a very um, prevalent way of death for young people. And I guess this is just people in general, not just young people. Yeah, I did always find it interesting how they just like threw statistics in there. Like it's the only pop punk song I know where they're just like educating us on these topics. (laughs) So certainly very unique. But I also always kind of hated because it was such a sad topic, but the song was still very catchy in a lot of ways. So I was like, right. I like this song, but I don't want to have to think about something sad. So I've always been very conflicted listening to it, but I do like the song. Mm-hmm. Track number four, Still Waiting. This one's an all-timer too. First single of the album. I got to say this one's a very close second place for me, Mike. I do love this song a lot. Now, Keenan, I think we totally overlooked our historical favorite songs on last week's album. Oh, you're right. I was hoping we wouldn't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is it your, is it your historical favorite? <laughs> <laughs> No, go for it. I was I was driving in the uh, car this week and like oh, we forgot our historical favorites. That's one that we just need to let die. But hey, I'm back in. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, it's a classic. This one, the Going Bear Warriors did definitely cover. Definitely, hundred percent. Yes, and it's a very kind of powerful song. I think some forty one. We discussed last week how Blink isn't necessarily qualified to delve into the political realm. I think Sum 41 does a really good job with, like, reflecting on the world at large and giving their take on it. This one is kind of, sort of, not kind of, sort of, a response to 9-11 and just the constant ongoing wars and conflicts in the world and... Basically, just the guy saying, 
when is this going to end? When is there going to be peace or a world that people can believe in and like feel good about? Yeah, it was definitely written after 9-11, and I, I think mostly a response to it, but I think it's even broader than that. And so he was capturing that sentiment of an average person who's feeling that the world's at a breaking point. And I don't know if you remember, Mike, I assume you do, but like back in middle school, which is when this came out, those were very contentious and very anxious times, especially for young kids who had no idea what was going on. You didn't know when the next terrorist attack was going to happen. You didn't know when another American soldier was going to be killed overseas. It was just like a very bizarre time to be an American, I think even more broadly to just be a citizen of the world. And so this captures that like, ooh, things do not feel like they're going well right now. Yeah, things were not going well. And as this song alludes to, there was not really any clear signs as to when they would improve. And I don't know. I think it took quite some time. Like the whole first decade of the 21st century, I think was just a very frightening, like everything was changing so quickly within like the way we lived. Like just think of how much stuff, the internet, social media, all this stuff just sprung up over those years. And at the same time, we were in two big wars and conflicts all over the world. And it was just tough. Like every night you would turn on the news and it would just be death and destruction and just sad stories and that was kind of rough being a kid and just like having that be the world that you live in so to that extent they did a nice job of showing that sometimes that feels overwhelming for just a person that's like this world is is kind of rough right now and i think musically the song definitely captures that feeling it's one of the heavier songs that some 41 released up to this point I've personally always been obsessed with the bridge of the song, where it's like three different parts, each one really awesome. It has this kind of steady build through it and very emotional. I used to literally watch clips of them performing just the bridge live, like over and over again in my like Sum 41 obsessed era. Um, and them like jumping in sync and thrashing around on stage. This was that song that just bore out all that like really big emotion from the band, which I think was contagious for the listener and for the viewer. Yeah, Keenan, uh, there's a lot of great parts of them jumping and playing in sync. And I guess to a certain extent, the music video also features them playing in sync. Literally playing in sync music. Yeah, it was a big twist. Yeah. yeah. They're playing wearing the same clothing because they there's are. a bit of a premise behind the music video. Yeah, well, this music video is one of their better ones, in my opinion. It features Will Sasso from Mad TV, which... Okay, already amazing cameo. Do you remember his vines? The lemons? Yeah, he had some great vines. Homemade almond milk. Water, almonds, lemons. Lemons! <laughs> <laughs> so good. My favorite ones were the ones where he had Stone Cold Steve Austin featured. Oh, I yeah. I don't remember the exact lines, but it was something like he would just say, If you want to see Stone Cold Steve Austin... Take a shit, say hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he would just like film st like Stone Cold and he would just be staring at him like all pissed off. Boy, I gotta take a shit. If you want Stone Cold Steve Austin to take a big ass dump, give me a hell yeah. Well, what the fuck are you doing? He must have had like an affinity for wrestling because he also had Hulk Hogan in those lemon vines. I watched a bunch yeah. today, um, but he always had like wrestlers in there. But yeah, he's featured in this. He's like their manager or somebody from, you know, the record label. And he's basically like trying to turn them into, we've talked about this before, a the band where it's right. like bands that dress the same and are like kind of robotic and 
Um, all their instruments are the same colors and they're very like simple and basic. But the opening is so funny. There's so many good one-liners from Will Sasso. I used to quote it all the time. Like when he's like, oh, you smoke cigarettes? And they're like, no. He's like, you do now. And he throws a cigarette in their lap. He's like, smoke them up, Johnny. Yeah, they, he <laughs> so gives them good. all new names. Yeah. Sven, Holmes. Guys, check this out. The sums. Okay. The sums. <laughs> What's in now is the... Drinking your beer and smoke. You guys smoke? No. Yeah, you do now. You like that? Smoke them up, Johnny. What's your name? Derek. Not anymore. It isn't. It's Sven. You like know. it? It's great. Yes. I don't know. It's, it's great. It is funny because there was this influx of bands from, like, the Hives and Franz Ferdinand isn't a the band, but you know. These uh, they're pretty similar. Bands. Yeah, they're that same vein. The Vines, the Strokes. They mentioned the Strokes. Yeah. Uh, the Led Zeppelins. Remember that? He's like. <laughs> Uh, it's just good comedy yeah it was funny so then they perform as the sums for the rest of the music video and basically just play this song and towards the end they um they destroy the sum sign right they knock it over yeah they destroy the entire like set and then they it culminates with them pushing the sums like this big i don't even know what you call those what do you even call those like the light bulby like signs that's the official term the light bulby signs (laughs) yep don't ask if you don't like the answer (laughs) that's fair that's fair totally right yeah so it's them protesting this uh, essentially conformity i guess which is as we know their thing the sums is a pretty cool band name though honestly yeah i don't hate it track number five a n i c Here it is, Mike. We knew it was coming. Sum 41 has won every single album. It's their 30 to 40 second, super aggressive, super fast paced, blast beat song. Yeah, this is it, Keenan. What does it stand for, Mike? A-N-I-C. Do you have any idea? I didn't because it's not in the lyrics and sometimes these things are. Uh, But I looked it up and it actually stands for Anna Nicole is a uh, C word. That's right. I don't want to say the C word. Yeah, don't say the C word, Mike. That's one we haven't said yet. So, um, yeah, yeah, Anna Nicole Smith, the former Playboy model and Playmate of the Year. I guess some forty one didn't like her. I don't know. I mean, it seems like an odd person for them to pick out as saying like, "You look like shit. You smell like shit. So why are you such a bitch?" Like all like yeah. all the really awful things they say. It's like, man, what did she do to deserve that? It seems like they just picked out like one really trashy reality tv star and they were like we're just gonna absolutely roast this person i forgot to look it up but i do remember she had a reality tv show where the whole premise was essentially her being a gold digger was it not well she was a gold digger in real life because she must have had a reality tv show because i knew who she was and i did not subscribe to playboy in the early 90s (laughs) oh you didn't (laughs) no so she must have just been hanging around like all those different like reality TV shows. She had a show. I remember watching it. She was definitely yeah. on TV. She married some old guy and then he died and he left her a bunch of money. And yeah. I guess that's why a lot of people didn't like her. But also like, who cares? I think she was also just like very ditzy and like, yeah, I don't know. I think that was like kind of her whole thing. So I think some pretty one was like, oh, we hate this woman. Yeah. She was your stereotypical dumb blonde. There you go, Mike. <laughs> uh, but I did read that once she died, because she did die in 2007, uh, they no longer performed the song. So that was nice of them to, you know. I think you're right. I think they stopped performing it, but I think they then went back and started performing it again. Or at least they have <laughs> uh, a few times since then. I read that. So once the uh, once enough time has passed, statute of limitations. Ten years. Yeah. Yeah. It got me thinking, Mike, what is your reality TV guilty pleasure? Do you have any, like, reality TV shows that you routinely watch? Preferably the trashier ones? Uh, Not too many. My wife, Abby, she loves all of the Bravo 
TV shows. She likes all the housewife shows. And um, she got me into a show called Southern Charm a couple years ago. Oh, yeah. I think I've heard of that one. Yeah. It follows a couple different people in Charleston, South Carolina. And I really actually did enjoy watching it for the first couple seasons. And it's since, like many of those shows, it's just gone on for too long. And I don't really keep up with it. But that was really the only reality show that I ever watched consistently. All the other housewife shows she would have on, and I just never really got into them. Although I know some people who just absolutely like love them. They just think they're so entertaining. Yeah. What about you, Keenan? Any trashy reality TV show that you enjoy? Um, I don't watch many. Definitely back in the day, one that I would watch a lot that was pretty trashy was Big Brother. I got kind of obsessed with that for like a couple year period. And mm-hmm. then I think these days, uh, Love is Blind on Netflix is one that I have very much embraced and very much enjoyed watching. And season three just dropped, but I haven't seen any episodes yet. So no spoilers. That was a fun one. I watched the first season of that with um, Barnett. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's and, right. Uh, Who's the girl? Uh, I can't remember her name. But they actually got married. Yeah. And um, I just remember Barnett because that's a weird name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's a good one. And that one obviously is like extremely popular right now. Netflix kind of has gone into that lane. Like they did the um, Love on the Spectrum too, which I enjoyed that a lot. And uh, I guess those aren't really trashy though. It's more reality based television. But I wouldn't say that's like as trashy as like drunk middle-aged women just screaming at each other there's some actual like uh depth to it i would say speaking of that that actually reminded me one of the trashiest all-time reality tv shows that i also loved was jersey shore i was obsessed with jersey shore and we used to watch a little bit of that back in the day so yeah, yeah that's a good one every thursday night we would watch in college we would watch jersey shore um always sunny and then NBC always had, like, The Office and 30 Rock. Oh, that's a lineup right so was, there. That's so yeah, good. Yeah, it was a great, uh, great Thirsty Thursday lineup in college before, you know, pre-gaming and going out or doing whatever. Hell so. yeah. Before blacking out and then regretting it the next morning. <laughs> yeah, GTL. <laughs> skipping your Friday classes. That's right. And that's it for Does This Look Infected Part 1. We will be back next week to discuss the rest of the album. Part 2 coming at you. Peace out. Wait, Mike, I'm going to stop you there. The song's about, like, suicide. Oh, okay. Well, now I feel bad about joking about One Direction. I know, but you can turn it to make it serious. Yeah. Uh, but in all serious... <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, Lord.